Hey there, and welcome to my podcast show. In episode 12, I got to speak with Dr. Lucas Porval, the e-government unit leader over at the Insight Centre for Data Analytics at the National University of Ireland in Galway, in UIG. His research work focuses on leveraging digital technologies such as virtual reality and artificial intelligence to support effective communication through better engagement, collaboration and co-creation, in particular in the context of highly interactive e-participation and media convergence. Lucas is an experienced leader, coordinator, senior researcher, data analyst and consultant and oh my god, what can he not do? What an overachiever! and has been working with politicians, decision makers and business representatives on various e-participation initiatives. So you're going to learn three new things in this episode. Where we are at with virtual reality, the state of technology in the various headsets, and understanding how presence and immersion inside in virtual reality has a profound way in how we communicate. Right now we are currently living through an extraordinary time, the fourth industrial revolution. We're moving away from the economy that we once knew into a truly digital age, one driven by data for an AI age. And as an early adopter of technologies, I see the metaverse economy. It can be expected to rise up out of the ashes of our current economy, which unfortunately I see as a three-legged stool that is currently, well, it's missing a leg as it continues to limp along. Unfortunately, our traditional economy is over. Over. And yes, don't get me started on the automation. I'll save that for another episode. It's no better time than now to have a quick interview with Dr. Lucas. So take a seat, grab your cup of tea or head out for that walk, whatever it is that you're now doing, and have a listen to the latest as Dr. Lucas shares his expert insights deep into the metaverse and virtual reality. Hello, my name is Dr. Lucas Porwell and I am a governance unit leader at Insight Center for Data Analytics at National University of Ireland Galway. My primary focus, research focus is in the area of serious communications and governance. So the metaverse has been defined in many different ways. I believe the best definition would be as you relate to it, Aina, which is this kind of movement, transcending the platforms, transcending technologies. It's a paradigm, it's a paradigm shift where the internet as we know it becomes interwoven with every aspect of life, where uh, the internet becomes part of everyday life like it hasn't in any way before. The space of metaverse can be understood in a more focused way as the virtual space, virtual reality space. And virtual reality has been growing incredibly fast in the last couple of years. The growth has been supercharged, accelerating very fast because of COVID pandemic as well, that introduced very speedy digital transformation in various different sectors. And we can observe massive changes in education and business communications, in governance, but so also in the entertainment sector and in media, movie production and gaming. The metaverse today accelerates at the pace that we see the revenue growing double or more. If we talk just last year, various different organizations provide different projections, but we possibly see a market of around $300 billion by 2024. So within three years from now, we would see a really substantial market, which is accelerating very fast. In comparison to other VR, on average, accelerates at 30% per year, while 
other media, let's say TV, currently the market accelerates at about 4%. So we see a massive difference between VR and, and let's say the mainstream classic media. In terms of technology, we see a lot of newcomers. We also see that established players like Oculus by Facebook or HTC Vive, but also devices branded by Microsoft or supported by Microsoft Mixed Reality headsets are developing at really high pace. And we see new models coming practically every year. Same way the mobile phones are entering the market every year. We got used to to have an announcement from Apple, from Samsung, uh, see the new <laughs> Galaxy, the new iPhone. So the same seems to be happening now in the VR space, and we see a massive progress. It's iterative, but in a way also revolutionary. Like we saw, especially with the introduction of standalone headsets, six degree of freedom headsets like Oculus Quest, now quickly followed by Oculus Quest 2, which delivers unparalleled computing power and VR capabilities for really affordable price of mid-range mobile phones. So that can bring VR to every home, and that's the intention. I guess, to kind of uh, grow this VR space to the point that it will not be a matter of uh, kind of uh, interest or, you know, I like VR, I don't like VR. It will be just a tool like any other, like a mobile phone, like any other medium, something that people use every day for work, for entertainment, for education. VR has been around for many years, in fact. So you can read about VR all the way in works all the way from 60s. And uh, VR was growing, especially in the sector that, has a lot of finances like defense. And there was, a, there was a long way to where we arrive at now. However, it seems that the last decade actually brought massive acceleration due to progress in technology and affordability of advanced technologies. The main aspect of why VR took off now is accessibility and affordability of very advanced technologies that now are in reach for everyday use and for everybody. In terms of data, you mentioned that, Aina, that actually we live in a world where big data is all over us, all, all around us. Uh, we live in a matrix that we can't see or touch. There is data flowing from devices to devices, from our smartphones, smartwatches, smart cameras, assistance, there is data flowing everywhere. And now devices, thanks to advancement in computing technology, are able to handle all that data for us. Otherwise, this data would not be comprehensible by ourselves. You would not be able to tap into that data or benefit from that massive amount of data that is all around us. Therefore, the modern devices become extension of our senses and allow us to understand what otherwise wouldn't be possible to understand for us due to our limited computing capacity of our personal computer called brain. In this sense, VR now will act or already acts as the interface to that metaverse, to the, to the matrix all around us. VR can uh, provide a window to the world unseen. I might become a bit metaphysical because we have the world seen and the world that we can't see. And I relate to the data world. The data is all around us. Through this window of virtual reality, we are able to get immersed into the cyberspace in a way that was not possible before. The internet has been around for quite some time, right? It's uh, almost three decades now since we started using internet, and it's hard to imagine life without the internet. But it's always been that the internet was close to us. We were using it. We seen it on the screen divided by so-called screen barrier from data, separated from the digital world through the screen. Now we enter inside the digital world, something that was envisaged various uh, sci-fi works 
and later corroborated in movies like Tron and later Matrix. But there were many, there were many productions that actually tried to envisage the cyberspace of the future. And this is happening already. And now we are able to get immersed, to get inside the world that we can't see. And this world can be a reflection on the real world through sensor data, through smart devices that transcend the metaverse, transcend the real and metaverse, but can also take us to spaces and places that are simulated, that are very different from our reality, that can change our perspectives or simulate new perspectives that nobody has thought for, about before. So we are at the verge of really massive shift in thinking what's possible, what isn't. Just yesterday, I saw one of the influencers testing the newest headset from Barrio, which is one of the best and most expensive headsets. However, this piece of technology at around, I guess, eight $9,000 offers quality of virtual reality, which is almost indistinguishable from real. The resolution is way beyond eye resolution and it's very smooth so you can't see pixels at all. This headset has been used for industrial applications, especially my friend Timmy Girao from Volvo is using it extensively in their Volvo design. They design cars in terms of interior mechanics, safety features. They test a lot of safety features using that headset. I had the pleasure to use that at MIT Reality Hack in 2020. The headset is really amazing. It also serves both as AR and VR device. It's a fully capable XR device with HD color pass-through. I would like to relate back to that influencer that I watched yesterday. So he, he said as, as much as he's very used to VR because he's been that space since a while, and he saw everything and, you know, at some stage you become a bit bored and uh, nothing surprises you. He said, I was blown away because suddenly I found it difficult to distinguish reality from virtual because it started to transcend, especially in this uh, XR mode where you had, you know, your surrounding and then things overlaid and it would smoothly transition between VR and AR. And there were things that were real and the things that weren't. And he observed himself kind of very interesting psychological ex response where the brain was not able to discern immediately or very well between real and VR. So this is where we are at. Those headsets, of course, they are still uh, not, let's say, available to everybody because of the price tag. But of course, like with every new technology, the first devices are very expensive and they gradually go to the consumer market. So I would envisage that what Vario offers uh, today, we will be able to buy with affordable Oculus within the next five years with similar capabilities. So I would say that by the end of this decade, as uh, actually Mike Zuckerberg suggested, we possibly will look at metaverse, which is photorealistic, uh, which is super immersive, and that transcends real in many different ways. So serious communication has been part of my studies for many years now. Actually, part of my PhD was devoted uh, to that part that you've mentioned, to polarization on uh, popular social media, in the government space especially, where people discuss with governments and discuss politics. There is a good set of uh, publications and good research actually proving that textual medium is not necessarily the best for serious discussions. The reason for that is the limitation of the channel where 
we can't really read well all the cues from other participants. We are limited to textual medium and therefore we become more edgy. We are much more judgmental. You could see that difference also when you correspond with somebody with email or WhatsApp or any communicator. You might write things that you would never say if you were facing the person in real. That's a natural psychological response to a limitation of the channel. Therefore, Let's say, of course, social media are more than text. One would say we have audio, we have video. You know, the set of channels offered by those platforms is being widened. However, uh, text still is the major channel for all those platforms. And uh, that's a major limitation that uh, creates a lot of tension. Unfortunately, the inherent design issue here is the text. And as much as, um, you know, newspapers and uh, one would say, you know, text being around for a long time, we had books, <laughs> even in ancient times, we had books, then we had newspapers for more frequent updates. However, let's pay attention. That was one way communication. Even writing a letter, you would write a letter, you would wait for a week or more and receive your response. Hi, guys, Ina here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was brought to you by Oriol's Magnesium Ionic Drops called Magnesium Mineral Balance. Oriol's Ionic Magnesium Drops help you to get that deep sleep and boost your energy and immune system. I've got a 10% off discount code called INA10 that you can use at their checkout. Go to their link in the podcast description below. Now we look at very quick responses through textual medium where you have no time to be mindful. You have no time to gauge what you should say, what you shouldn't. We act on impulses and we write fast just based on a very limited information. Therefore, our brains make decisions on limited set of cues and that kind of creates problems with proper judgment. And even people who consider themselves very controlled and very reasonable they often caught themselves being emotional and reacting, you know, on the spot in a, an appropriate way. And some of them apologize, some of them don't. But the point is, we see that growing trend of uh, hate speech. Uh, haters will always hate, right? And people almost being waiting for somebody to say something wrong and just pick on it and, you know, and go on a, on, on tour of hate and, you know, expressing venting all kind of, all kind of uncomfortable, uh, issues. Therefore, going back to VR on this, VR offers as per literature and also what I've learned in my own research, that there are two distinct things that take VR to the next level. One is immersion and one is one is presence. Immersion is a property derived from hardware and software where it's basically the degree of isolation from the external world. How much are you in inside inside the matrix and how much you are in the real world? The better the technology, the more immersed you are in the, in the simulated world. So that's one. Then the presence is the sense of being together with other people in that space. And that again, it's more of a software property than hardware. It's more how the virtual space is aligned, how avatars are represented, what communication channels are available, what collaboration tools are at hand. So those two aspects, immersion, and presence deliver something which has a profound impact on the way we perceive other people and the way we communicate. There is a various work suggesting that the way we communicate in VR is very, very different to the way we communicate, again, through those popular textual media like social media. 
but also can be different to the way we communicate in real. I personally believe that DR can not only make social media communication more efficient and better through social VR, but can also make communication in general better. VR can help us to fight our biases, can help us to better understand people. As we know, in VR, it's up to us how we are represented, how do we look. Therefore, what you would like to show, what you would like to conceal is up to you in VR. That creates a space where in VR, there is less space for being judgmental, if, if I can say it in that way. In VR, it's more about what you say and what you represent through your thought rather than through your looks or where do you come from. And that can have a profound implications for the future of communications. And that's what I deeply believe in. Another aspect to VR is that because this medium is spatial, because this medium opens up new opportunities in terms of collaboration, you can bring on new elements to the discussion, such as uh, three-dimensional projections of real spaces or simulated spaces. You can have immersive 360-degree videos. You can be in the places of discussion, right? So I don't know, if you make comment about some specific uh, event I don't know, somewhere in the remote place and, you know, you've been judge you are being judgmental about it. Maybe if you visit that place in VR and you, you really see with your own eyes all around you what's happening, your empathy will be greater and your judgment will be different. So that there is two aspects. One is the extensive set of new channels that VR open. And another one is the perception of being present with others in VR, which is unparalleled by any other channel. If you would like to experience what is just behind the corner, it is good to attend events. And I think for me, a real eye-opener has been MIT Reality Hack that I've been now on the org team with. And uh, we have there always emerging technologies, both in terms of hardware and software. One of the things yeah, I've experienced there was, uh, yeah, they, I could actually use this uh, this. Uh, expensive headset there and see for my own eyes how uh, Volvo cars are being designed. Um, so suddenly being in media labs uh, at MIT, I could project one of the Volvo cars inside uh, the hall and look at it, get inside it, uh, look at the dashboard, uh, look at all the details of texture of dashboard and stitching, all kind of tiny details of interior I could switch off the body, leave the, the chassis, look at the engine, look at every aspect of the mechanics. And then I could switch to VR mode and place this car in Madrid in the sunny day. And suddenly I was in Madrid with the car in front of me and see how the paint job reflects differently, dependable on the time, on the sunlight, see how, how reflections are changing. And then go back to Media Lab and see this car in front of me and finally just go back to reality. So that was almost a metaphysical journey where I transcend from the place I physically was through augmenting that reality to being transported to another reality and be back. So that was a very impressive piece of technology. Another piece of technology I've experienced there was from actually from NASA and was about the feeling of wet. And that's actually interesting. So they had gloves that could simulate the sense of immersing your hand in water. And some of the hackers actually used that to, to deliver some, some prototype applications. So we look at more senses being involved, right? So now, of course, visuals are covered, spatial audio is there, but we more and more we look at other senses like smell, and but also like touch. And here you see like 
how do you define the wet, right, dry, and uh, this kind of uh, inputs. So there is effort to providing more sensoric inputs, and some of these are there. But if we talk about immediate new technologies that are coming, so there are some hints, for instance, in terms of popular technologies from Oculus. We expect Oculus Plus, Oculus Quest Plus, and Oculus Pro to emerge as soon and what we can expect from those apparently is eye tracking is face tracking and uh, i guess that would have profound impact on social vr communications as we know uh, non-verbal communication and facial expressions are incredibly important that's actually been corroborated by my late research called vr dialogue funded under next generation internet explorer program from ec and what we looked what we figure out in our research by using ai to study behavior of people in VR is that our nonverbal communication can be as important as verbal or even more important in describing our interactions. Therefore, the new technologies coming like eye tracking, like facial uh, face tracking, maybe some advanced touch uh, sensation that will have a huge impact on these two aspects I've mentioned, which is the immersion and by implication also on presence. We would be way more immersed in those social VR interactions. In terms of where is it headed again with the technology we see now, we will see a better resolution. Every generation of headsets provide a jump in resolution. We saw that between Say I would just use one type of headset. See, so we had Oculus Rift and we had Quest with more resolution. And now Quest 2, again, a substantially increased resolution. And I can imagine that the trend will be sustained and possibly will reach what Vario already offers, those where we see screens inside that are way beyond eye resolution. And we will see no pixels anymore, <laughs> no, and no more squares all around us. We will just see as we see normally, and that will be the major game changer, I think. And I would envisage that that will happen uh, within next couple of years. We are not far away from there because the devices that are capable of that are already there. It's just the price tag is yet yeah, a bit of an obstacle to majority of, of consumers at the moment. In terms of other possible directions is to support various different ways of movement. And we see that there is kind of a trend towards supporting more free walking and tracking of our motion, especially in terms of leg tracking. So now we have very good hand arm tracking, let's say, but we can't, the solutions to track our legs are quite experimental or not uh, out of the box. You can buy, the, buy them as an extension, but that changes a lot. Again, in social VR, some people do it in VR chat. You see when you have full body tracking, you can do so much more. And I guess by extension, that will impact sectors like entertainments and arts where people will be able to perform from their homes while being part of a show or performance anywhere. And you can see uh, there is new shows emerging that already kind of leverage avatar technology. There is a show now where people, it's a bit like X Factor, and people interact with the judges through their avatars. So the judges don't see the real people. They just see the avatars as they sing, as they perform, as they dance. So to wrap it up in terms of uh, what we can see, in terms of next generation technologies that are coming immediately. So first of all, greater resolution, more tracking. So eye tracking, face tracking, full body tracking. Progressively, we will also see more senses involved. So possibly better simulation of touch, maybe smell. There are some approaches, some technologies that will allow even greater immersion. 
Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode. To stay updated whenever new episodes are released, you may subscribe here on Spotify or over on iTunes or to the newsletter on my website www.inaom.io. And while you're there, you can leave a review to help with all the algorithm stuff. You know how it is. That's all for now and I hope you listen in on the next episode.